Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. I'm Jerry Grover, and you're listening to Gospel Tangents. The best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to have Jerry Grover on the show. He's written an amazing book called Geology of the Book of Mormon. So we're going to get more acquainted with this book and find out uh, as ge- what a geologist says about the Book of Mormon. What, what, uh, te- what should it have? Should it have volcanoes? I know we've talked about that before on Gospel Tangents, and Jerry's going to give us our answer. So you won't want to miss this conversation. Check it out. Welcome to Gospel Tangents. I'm excited to have, I think, my first geologist on the show. Could you go ahead and tell us who you are? Uh, Yeah, Jerry Grover. Um, I'm a licensed professional geologist and engineer as well, civil engineer. Okay. Written a few books, which I think caught your attention. So Yeah. You live here in Utah County? Yeah. Yep. American Fork. And uh, so tell us a little little bit about your academic background. Where'd you go to school? Um, My undergraduate was uh, BYU. I was a geological engineer, kind of, they didn't have a second major, but also mechanical engineering. And then... Kind of a dual major? Yeah, they don't really offer that at BYU, but I had enough that I got accepted into grad school as a mechanical engineer at University of Utah. Oh, so you're conflicted. Yeah, and then I and then I shifted to civil engineering, so I was even more conflicted. <laughs> and so I got my master of engineering up at University of Utah, and so I'm a licensed structural civil engineer and also a licensed professional geologist. Okay. So, and so when they play each other, who do you root for? Well, my dad was a BYU professor, so I kind of had to be careful. Oh, know, I'm sorry. My son's a U- University of Utah fan. So. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. He must be cool. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> So I probably wrote root for Utah State. So. Oh, there you go. That's weird. Just to, just to be nonpartisan. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, great. Well, you've got a book, a great book called Geology in the Book of Mormon. Why don't you show the camera? Um, yeah, this has kind of got some tabs on it and stuff. But. There you go. And uh, it's an expensive book. It's out of print now. You got to spend like eighty bucks to get that thing. Yeah. Well, I only printed. It's actually free uh, as yeah, a PDF. So I, all of my books, I only print a limited number. I'm not in the book selling business, and mostly donate to libraries and then a few people that want hard copies. You know. So. Uh-huh. 
Um, I could do a reprint, but I just haven't got around to doing an update. So <laughs> I've got, I'm working on some other books. So. Okay. Well, and we might talk about some other books too. So, um, so, so you kind of got a geology background, civil and mechanical engineering background. And um, so tell us why you decided to write Geology of the Book of Mormon. Well, I just, um, I kind of followed kind of Book of Mormon geography models and, you know, Sorensen, John Sorensen's kind of models that he proposed. And um, even from the time I was, I, I served an LDS mission. And so I actually got his, some of his early drafts to kind of translate into Italian because I spoke Italian. And, and so it always kind of interested me. Um, but I really didn't have any inklings to publish anything. I assumed, well, somebody else might, you know, some BYU professor or something. But really, nobody had done anything. And so I kind of thought, well, something that's really just been sitting out there with no research, as there are a lot of those topics. And and there's very few scientific um, approaches to the Book of Mormon, as I found out, you know, looking at a lot of people write books on doctrine and the text and translation techniques and all that. But very few people have actually really looked scientifically at the what's said in the Book of Mormon and what's indicated. And right. So that that's kind of my, my, I have a website. It's basically dedicated. It's basically scientific and linguistic research. So that's really what I engage in okay. and support. And I've also funded some other people's projects. So Okay. And then before we dive into the book, I want to get a couple other things. Um, I, I pointed out to you about a month ago probably that uh, you have an entry in Divergent Paths of the Restoration. So do you lead a Mormon group? Um, are you like a prophet or something? Um, well, I guess I, that's a career I hadn't really thought of. But <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's possible. <laughs> no, I was kind of surprised when you pointed that out. I'm like, I didn't really even know that they knew I existed. Yeah, know? so Steve Shields, if you're watching... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think I think he caught on because I did the characters document translation, right? Yeah. And then he wrote an article in the JHW or JHWA. Sure. Whitmer historical yeah, on, on the different, there was like three people that had attempted translations of that. Of so the characters document. Yeah, so that's why he I was in that article. And so I think maybe that's how he ran across me. Because yeah. I, I, didn't, I don't know him from Adam, right? I mean, <laughs> so, He's a really cool guy. No, I'm sure. Him. I've seen him on like some podcasts. Yeah. He lives in Korea or something like right, that. He right. seemed like a nice guy. Yeah, he's a former 70 in the community of Christ. And yeah. So I, for me, it was like, well. Oh, in yeah. fact, he was at Whitmer in September here in Independence. So, oh. yeah. Yeah, and I don't really involve, like I say, most of my books are not church history stuff, right? So they don't really cross over into a lot of that other than when I'm, I did one on the, the metallurgy of the plates, you know, looking at how they were made. And so mm -hmm. I got into a little bit just because I needed the initial, you know, descriptions of the plates. And so I do kind of engage a little bit in church history, but not, not a lot. So a lot of the, it, it's kind of, there's not very many, if I'm leading a church, there's like three people <laughs> that, that really do scientific or, or even geographical research mm -hmm. anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you do go to LDS church, I guess. Is that uh, yeah, what you're yeah, okay. yeah. I'm, so you're, you're not a you're not a schismatic uh, leader or anything. Uh, no, I mean, I've, I mean, I look at other religions, studied other religions. I'm open minded about. Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think you know we have some you know, license on the 
patent on the truth, right? I mean, you can get truth right. from a lot of areas. Science is just one. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I mean, I'm open-minded to listening to all kinds of people. So you're also my second politician on the show. Can you talk a little? I had Darren Perry. He ran unsuccessfully as a Democrat in the first congressional district. I had him run right after he lost. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of repressed memory there, so I'm not sure much I can tell you. But <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so back in, what, 1994, I, I went off my medication, decided to run for office. <laughs> so I was elected as a Utah County Commissioner and, and served from 1995 to 2006 okay. as a county commissioner. So, and... I, I, I'm basically, I worked in the private sector before that. And then after that, I've been back in the private sector as an engineer. So that was really my only stint okay. in government per se. And so you were a good road builder, I guess, basically. Is that what the county commissioner does? Make, uh, make well, yeah, I knew how to build roads. I knew about um, the recorder's office because I actually worked doing some, when I was a geologist, I did some you know researches in the recorder's office. Um, so I actually kind of ran because I thought my skill set matched the job as opposed to just being some ego boost or something like mm-hmm. that. And personally, I would, I was happy if people didn't know who I was, you know, <laughs> <laughs> my neighbors thought I was on maybe city council or so they had no clue what I really did. And, and that was fine with me. <laughs> so, you know, I did, I did develop two important maxims in life though, as a politician. One was things are always darkest before they go completely black. <laughs> The second was there's no problem so large that I can't run away run away from it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. so, anyway, and you know, I again, I thought it was important that people run that actually have skill sets. Right, they're not just attorneys or real estate people or people climbing. I didn't have no interest in being governor or senator. I just felt like I could do a good job at that job. And uh-huh. Did my best so. Very good, very good. Well, um, so so, tell us how you so you you're you're kind of a geologist, kind of an engineer, right? What are some of the passages in the Book of Mormon, I guess, that caught your attention and led you to, to writing the book? Well, there had actually been a few articles done by um, some BYU geologists. Um, Bart Wallace did one, maybe did a little small, you know, kind of paper pamphlet, and Doctor Bear, who I. Both of those I had was were, when I went to school there were teachers and, but they were just very generic, right? They just said, "Well, third Nephi looks like it has, you know, looks like a volcanic eruption," um, and but no one had really said, "Okay, let's apply this to actually the models." The other thing I was seeing is the geographic models. You had. You know, a variety of them. Some people have their own personal ones, and they're all over the place. But they're, they're, do you want to give us a brief rundown of the different geography theories, really quick? Uh, well, yeah, I don't know all because there's you know everybody's got a website. I'll help you all <laughs> yeah, I tell you. I mean, basically, you have in Mesoamerica, you have probably two primary models: the River Sidon being the Grijalva River, or the or the Simacinta River being the Sidon River. There's also another one by Richard Hout, which basically has it further um, over to the the east in the Matogua Valley. Kind of Guatemala area. Uh, yeah, and and pretty much the in Mesoamerica, most of the models agree that the land northward corresponds to the Olmec Jaredite slash you know, the Olmec civilization, which is an earlier uh, civilization. And so you do have commonality with the two primary models. They also believe 
the, the premise is the city, the land of Nephi is Valley of Guatemala, Guatemala City. So you actually have some commonality, but it diverges on which which was the riverside. And, and then you have a few people, you know, all of Yucatan, and you know, I, I, but the, there are certain people that just have their own. They don't have any following, <laughs> but they just propose and write a website. You know? well, there's like Baja also. Yeah, the Baja and the Baja, they've kind of got a website there, and so I actually commented a little bit on in a later chapter. I, I, the book was basically saying, okay, what we're gonna, what I'm gonna do here is you have all these people, the geography and the passages that relate to geography. I mean, there's not that many that are very extensive, right? And so people are. You've kind of gotten, I figured you've kind of gotten as far as you're going to get in terms of establishing the models. Now it's just arguing about, you know, which river or that kind of thing. But there's not really much more in the text to, to ferret out. So I said, we need, you know, and you have the archaeological parameters that you have to then apply, linguistic parameters. Again, the because the, the text of the geography is just one parameter, right? It has to, it has to lay in and match other parameters. So I thought, well, the geology is a parameter that's never been looked at. Right? right. That can actually, that I don't care whose model it is. They need to look at that and make sure that their model is consistent with what the Book of Mormon says geologically. And so that was the attempt of the book was to yeah. actually establish, number one, was establish that all of the things described in the Book of Mormon um, that have geological, you know, can be explained geologically. So that was part of the attempt of the book, say, okay, everything in Third Nephi, all these things, um, you, you know, can be explained by some geological event, whether it's the vapor mist of darkness, tumultuous noises, groanings of the earth, rendings of the rock, quakings, all those things. So I kind of went through that to say, okay, yes, all of these things are consistent and can be explained geologically. So, and then, then it was like, okay, now that you have that, you have how do you lay your model? You have to have seismic potential for seismic activity in the right places, right? It says the land northward had the, you know, the bulk of the destruction. So, again, some models don't really subscribe to a volcano. They try to come up with some other explanations. But whatever it is, you have to, you know, show that you at least have laid down the cities you've laid down are going to the ones that were destroyed. By the you know, show how they were destroyed, right? During Third Nephi, when the Great Destruction. Yeah, and that was like, and so like, if you have Ammoniah, not all of them are Third Nephi. I mean, you have a couple prison events where the prison shook. Oh yeah, like Alma. Mm-hmm. Right, and so and there was a great sound, which I actually explained. There's actually what's called a super shear earthquake that uh, occurs in strike slip faults that are typically granitic underlying rock. So if you've got a location as Ammoniah, you're going to have to show that Ammoniah is actually in a seismically active zone, probably strike slip, and show that there's probably some sort of granite, the granitic rock somewhere at depth or something that would generate this, because a super shear earthquake can create a sonic boom. Hmm. So that's the great, because it talked about a great sound that surprised them all, right? And so that's one, and then you have the other prison event. It's it basically, you know, this is in the land of Nephi where it talks about shaking, then a cloud came down, then it was shaking, cloud. So you're, that's looking at a volcanic eruption earthquake. So you're going to have to show proximity to a volcano in that location, your, your valley of your land of Nephi, right? So those are a couple 
outside that 35 event that are geologic events. And so the, the point was to say, okay, let's lay it. It gives, it gives it, any people working on a model will have to account for the geology. Now they could maybe interpret something a little differently than me. That's fine. But you at least have to account for this parameter. You can't just say, oh, there's a fault somewhere in our model, right? You've got to show that it's a large enough fault. You can't have, you know, my book. And then the, so your focus mostly on like earthquake activities. At, well, well, is I, that I, fair there, to say? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the well, I, I looked at some different things. So I also looked at storm, right? I looked okay. at some meteorological events. Because that's one of the questions. Could it be a hurricane, right? Um, when it talks about the great storm, or is it talking about just a volcanic eruption that um, could be described as a great storm anciently? And so I looked and said, okay. I, and, and what I did is I said, and some of these answered questions out for other models, but I said the Sorensen model is the most developed, right? He has maps. He's got very, you know, has cities laid out. Most of them are, most of the models are, you know. Yeah, roughly here. Yeah, yeah, right. Roughly Anytime they try to zoom in, it gets starts having problems, right? And, and that's why that's why anybody can propose a model. But actually, when you, you have to actually lay it in on the ground specifically, have archaeological sites match up, have cultures match up. And this is just saying, listen, your geology has got to match up as well. So I took the Sorensen model and laid it in. And, but there were some other questions I wanted to answer. And first of all, some people said, well, just a volcano, and then you have the volcanic earthquakes. And so I yeah. looked at it, I said, no, volcano. I actually said, in, in geo for one of the uh, areas of geology is actually hazard analysis. So there are people, geologists, all they do is look at, you know, a city for city planners that are located next to a volcano, like Mexico City, for example. They've Pompeii. Been, uh, yeah, they probably, you know, most of them were, most of the city planners were killed. In the eruption. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what I'm saying, modernly, so you would, you would say, hey, we've got this volcano near Mexico City. You know, if it erupts, you know, where are we going to get like, you know, our ash fall? Where are we going to get what's called Lahars mud flows coming out? And so you have to incorporate that into your planning. On the Wasatch Front, we have earthquake, right? So we're a seismic five. So you, it, if you're planning to build along the fault, what's the distance away from the fault? You know, where are the debris flows that are going to come out? You look historically where debris flows have come out. Um, so you actually create hazard maps. Say, okay, we probably don't want to build right here because when the earthquake when earthquake happens, you may you know, wipe out this subdivision or something like that. So, but do they build them anyway? Uh, some cities do approve them, you know, you, like when I was a county commissioner, that's what we did. We developed a, a hazard map for Utah County, right? And said, okay, these are some... Shouldn't, shouldn't build here. Or if you do, you need to mitigate, right? Like okay. avalanche, well, you can build in an avalanche zone. It just house has to be designed, you know, in such a way that it can shed an avalanche. It doesn't just take it off down the mountain, right? right? And, you know, concrete roof, whatever it is. And, and so I'm not saying that it doesn't mean you can't build, um... But you have. But to, you're going to have to have more build, more stringent building requirements. Yeah, you have to consider what the underlying geology is, and it's soils too, right? Some soils, and I actually kind of go there through in the book is uh, some soils are very susceptible to uh, destructive movement called liquefaction, um, basically because they're saturated. When the earthquake hits, a pressure wave goes and just turns it to jello. 
turns the ground to jelly. Yeah, so it can't support. It doesn't have any bearing. Is it kind of like quicksand where it just kind of sinks in? It ju- it's just, no, it just kind of is not able to sustain load. Yeah, and so the buildings will like shift this way or this way or or it will crack. Kind of like the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Yeah, well, actually, in my book, I talked in Japan, there's one that has like a series of apartment oh. buildings. They're just one goes this way, one flip this way. Yeah, I remember and, that. Yeah, and because it's, you also have these surface waves that, that undulate going through, you have a pressure wave. Pressure wave, you can kind of think of like a, like a tube with ping pong balls in it. You know, you hit one end and then it travel, there's a wave goes through, a force goes through, and, you know, ping pong ball pops out the other end. So it's not. It's not like the, and so the pressure wave, it's just like a hit, and then that, it gets pressure moving through as a wave, and that's what um, destabilizes, if you will, the the soil that's susceptible to liquefaction. And then, um, then you also have the undulating waves that can move through that also cause damage, but, but what happens is, essentially, when you have the area that's uh, liquefaction, if you have like a, uh, using the Richter scale that we don't use that much anymore in geology, but oh really? But, well, there's a different. It's the the moment scale. It, it correlates. I, you mentioned that in the yeah, book, but it, I was everybody. Most people are familiar with the Richter scale. Yeah, and they still use that. It's mostly because on the higher ends, the Richter scale doesn't work very well. I mean, there's it's kind of okay in the middle. I mean, this is very you know summarizing it for not very academically, but and, and, and so you actually. Um, um, will get us, you know, this destruct, the, it'll basically move your area that is susceptible to liquefaction will be like equivalent to maybe two or three on the Richter scale. Meaning if you get hit with a, a five, the damage may be what would be an eight just because the ground is unstable. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so you can kind of calculate and say, I mean, it gets rough, um, that, that areas like that will experience a certain higher level of, of, seismic shaking or damage and so i actually considered that in when i did the model when i laid out the Sorensen model for example i had to actually do my own mapping because they really i couldn't find anywhere where they had actually looked at liquefaction so i kind of took what formations were or and kind of applied that because i had to know that because if he has a city that's on an area that's not liquefaction or is liquefaction that'll make a difference as to the destructive you know, whether it's going to be destroyed or not. Oh, okay. And then the other thing, um, and so this is, again, taking, laying it on the ground, looking at, and so, for example, the volcano. So I looked at all the volcanoes in Mesoamerica, and they have to erupt during the right time period, right? Right. And so kind of wiped out a lot of them. They also had to be situated such because it describes the lands northward and southward, the mist of darkness, Covered all the face of the land. I mean, you know, you have to take that with a grain of salt. I mean, they obviously didn't have people on every, <laughs> you know, mountaintop or whatever. But, but so it had to at least substantially cover that. So you couldn't have one that's because the Sorensen model has, you know, Guatemala basically, Guatemala City all the way up kind of to Veracruz. Kind of that's your total extent. So you had to have a volcano. The reasonable eruption would have, you know, that coverage. And so I, so I kind of looked at, and I answered, asked certain questions. So, like, I kind of referring back to what I started with, and that is, you have earthquakes associated with volcanoes, but volcanic earthquakes are not very powerful. They can get up to like seven, and they're really only in proximity, close proximity to the volcano. 
And also what I, I mean, did. I think the big one that people at least our age <laughs> remember, <laughs> I, I remember there was the Harry Truman at the base of Mount St. Helens, and he's like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And the, the volcano just buried his house, and he died there. Yeah. Um, so, but you're saying that wasn't, the destruction didn't extend a long distance? It was just local to the volcano? Is well, that what you're well, saying? That's, well, that was the question. And so there's actually, as part of this hazard analysis, what geologists will do is because, well, you don't have a, you know, Mount St. Helens, when was the last time it erupted, for 1980, example? I think it was. Yeah, 82, and, but before that. So, oh. so, yeah, so you're looking at, say, okay, we know this volcano has erupted. We actually can, you know, measure radiometric dating. Okay, it was 1,000 years ago or something. But, you know, how do you... Well, that brings up another question. How do you date, especially from geological, I mean, we everybody's familiar with carbon dating, but there's no carbon in metals, generally speaking. How would you date when a volcano erupted? Well, the, the real old ones, they use different techniques because carbon, radiocarbon only goes back, I can't remember, 20, 30,000 years. And then they, they use other like, um, but there are other argon, there's other degradation of, of chemicals for the ancient stuff. I didn't care about that because... I, the Book of Mormon is within radiometric. Just two thousand. Yeah. yeah, right. And so, the dating would be you have a you have a lava flow or you have some pyroclastic flow. Or but that doesn't lava. have car or does it have carbon? In no, it? but you would date what's underneath it. It meaning you'll have you'll find doesn't charred it? charred trees. Oh, you know the underneath. They the flow. wouldn't just be completely incinerated and gone. Well, some, but I mean, at some point you have you know something underneath it. Um, okay. Where so you can say okay here's. Um, and then the ash, the, the best way is actually the ash, if it's a pyroclastic, because you'll have marshes, right, where the, the ash gets laid down, then you'll have more deposition on top of it of material that has organic stuff in it. Oh, okay. So you have the superposition, right? And so... Because I, I keep thinking, so you, you know, can date, you can, you can zone it in. Hawaii is one of my favorite places to go, and I've been to the national park there on the Big Island, because they have, you know, for the last... That's right. I was born 200 years. Actually. Oh, so, were you really? Yeah. That's what my book, I started out, I was born on the flanks oh, of an extinct that. volcano. <laughs> it was not It was not on the Big Island. It was on you know, oh, Oahu, okay. just up okay. in Hawaii. And so. Oahu's awesome, too. But, but, you know, in the last, say, 200 years, we've been able to be like, oh, well, we were here. We know when this lava flow happened and when this lava flow yeah. happened. But, of course, before 200 years... It's a lot harder to date that kind of stuff. Right. And so you're looking for things that you can date radiometrically. And then you also look at superposition because you have lava flows sitting on top of other lava flows and lava flows. So you can actually get at least the sequence, right? Right. Oldest on the bottom, youngest on the top. Right. And so you can you can extrapolate. And, and there's also other, um, you know, sometimes you have uh, a flow that has a fracture because it's in an earthquake. And then there's another flow on top of it, so you can tell that the earthquake happened between the two. Oh, okay. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so there's actually geological events that you, intervening that you can also figure out, help you figure out. How accurate are those kinds of dating? Like it depends, 100 it, years, 10 years, well, one year? Yeah, well, typically, I mean, there have actually been improvements in the radiometric technique, right? And so you're, they're more accurate now than they were before. Sometimes, I mean, this is a whole another discussion, but you actually have, it's based on the carbon-14 in the atmosphere. And so there's actually some fluctuation. So sometimes you can't, there's maybe a few hundred year period, you can't tell because it's almost the same amount or it's gone up or 
because it's kind of this curve, mm -hmm. they call it the calibration curve. And so sometimes if it's in a time frame, it is a little more difficult to tie in, but it's typically 100, 200, 300 year spread. Mm -hmm. And then statistically they do what's called these sigma analysis. So you could kind of say it's more probable in this section. So you kind of have this out larger range and then statistically. Are we talking statistics now? That's my language. Well, I won't deviate from the mean here and talk about discuss, <laughs> discuss statistics. <laughs> but so 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 basically, yeah. And so I had to look at that. Meaning, some of them had large, mm -hmm. you know, the, and and some of them there's dispute because you know are they getting the level again? It was like you have, um, you know, one eruption up kind of near Mexico City went into uh, it was the Chile volcano went into a city. And so they were saying, well, are we, they were sampling the level um, immediately where it hit, or we're sampling some lower level of, of, of organic material, corn cobs or whatever it is that they're finding in the archaeological site. So it's not, it's not like everything is, you know, certain researchers will find different results, right? Okay. So, so there is, you know, and I, I tried to look at that. So I actually. But usually was, with two or 300 years, you've. There's yeah, sometimes within a hundred, you know, I mean, it just depends. And, okay. and again, I wasn't down there sampling, right? So I'm just relying on, on all the reports or the publications of each right. of the, on the volcanoes. And, and, and I actually list all the eruptions of each volcano. I took each, I screened the volcanoes to say that these ones didn't erupt. And like, that's the problem with the Baja modeling. Oh, there's volcanoes. Like, well, none of them erupted in the last 10,000 years, right? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, problem. They're way too old. Uh, yeah, them. I mean, there's one way up north. There's one on an island, clear out. But I mean, not in the area that you need it. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a problem. So they actually say, well, okay, we have to take a volcano out of our model. And so they say there's this big fog bank came in, and a hurricane came in, and then a big fog appeared. And I'm like, I don't know where you're going to get that type of meteorological conditions, right? <laughs> Where a hurricane is followed by quiescent <laughs> fog, you know, and the fog had to kill people too, right? Well, because Heartland has the same issue. I mean, I know they have the New Madrid fault, which would explain the um, the earthquakes and the shaking. Well, it does, but it doesn't. Because, again, the other thing you have to look at... Well, one of their, their things is they say, well, it doesn't say volcanoes in the Book of Mormon, so you can't assume it was a volcano. Yeah, well, it actually does... Kind of, I can give an explanation there. Okay. It's not in the book, but but the other thing I looked at is you have what because so the first thing is I determined was I, let me kind of backtrack here. Okay. So when you're looking at ancient events, you can sometimes take a recounting of that Pompeii, for example, or okay. other recountings, or see what the destruction was. I mean, certain certain um, when I'm when I'm looking at earthquakes, anyway, certain buildings collapsed, right? And so you can actually rate the shaking level. We know they call it the Mercalli scale. Okay. Different numbers. So you say, oh, that's a, on the Mercalli scale, that's at eight because buildings collapsed. I mean, completely collapsed. So you can, you can actually, you know, go up the scale. So you got dishes shaking or something like that to describe, oh, things shook, but nothing. So you, you can kind of actually grade it. And then you, there's a correlation um, to the Richter scale, more or less. You can kind of okay. like throw that over. And so that was the thing, is I'm looking at, okay, you've got all these cities completely collapsing, right, and high and right and low, and, and it's like that. Volcanic earthquakes 
aren't to that level unless they're right on the flank of the volcano or something. And then like that, Harry Truman was. With yeah, the and that's the least of your worries is an earthquake if you're on the flank of a volcano when it erupts. <laughs> a pyroclastic, you just get burned to crisp. Right, right. Yeah. right. So, so I looked at that and I said, so, okay, so a volcano itself cannot account for all the destruction, right? So you do have to But have, it does account for the mists of darkness, right? Yeah, it accounts for certain elements of it, right, which earthquakes don't. And so that was the conclusion I reached. You had to have a volcano and a regional fault system. Both together, not just one or the other. Right. Both okay. together. And then I looked at, can that happen? Do you have, has that occurred? And yes, it has. If, in fact, um, probably the theory is, is that the pressure is built up in the volcano and then the earthquake is the trigger, right? And so the earthquake happens and then the, the volcano erupts because it, it caught. So know, the earthquake kind of causes the eruption? It, it, yeah, I mean, eruptions are building up of pressure, steam, whatever, underneath in the magma chamber, and it's come up. At some point, it reaches a point where it blows, right? I mean, but if you move it or you create a fissure or something because of the earthquake, then it can precipitate. It, it, it won't cause a volcanic eruption for a volcano that's not prepared or close to erupting. So that's one thing you have to look at. But it creates a space where it can erupt. Yeah, or overpressure, you mm-hmm. know, because, it, again, you have a lot of stuff going on. And 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 so it, and that's one of the parameters you look at if you're saying, okay, because um, they've studied it and said, okay, or w- there are volcanoes that are at risk because they're on faults. But you also look at what's the period of time since the last eruption. You know, if it just erupted 100 years ago, well, an earthquake's probably not going to trigger an eruption because it's not built. It's, the overpressure hasn't built up yet again. That's typically how volcanoes you know, they erupt, and then over time, they the pressure builds up again, and then they erupt again. And depending on what's underneath them, and maybe you know, every five hundred years, some ten thousand. I mean, it, you know, they're not all the same. Do like Mount St. Helens is probably the one volcano that Americans are familiar with. Right. Do you, we, do you know when the one before 1982 was? Uh, I'd have to look it up. It's in my, it's in the book, okay. I think, but I think it was like 1800s or something like that. Okay. So, yeah. but, but it wasn't as catastrophic. I don't think, you know, I mean, there's also, that's the other thing you look at. It's a VEI. There's a VEI index, explosivity index of an eruption. So you actually rate the eruption according to the amount of, energy that it released. So you have like Krakatoa is like a V, I what, 10 or something. And I also looked at that. So I said, okay, what, what level of eruption do we really need to get the, you know, the third Nephi event? And I also looked at, also, because it's possible you have two volcanoes erupting at the same time. And it has occurred in the, like the Kamchatka Peninsula in Russia. So, so those are possibilities. I don't. Does it happen in Hawaii a lot with Multiple volcanoes? Not really, because uh, Hawaii's uh, is what's, it's a little different. Number one, it's a different kind of volcano than what you find for the most part in Mesoamerica. It's oh. yeah, there's explosive volcano like Mount St. Helens that create create these pyroclastic flows, and those are typically on what on uh, what we call subduction zones, where you actually have a crustal plate going underneath another plate, and so it builds up, and then you have the overpressure. There's the other kind is kind of a shield volcano, which is basically uh, where you have fissures occurring, where it's a spreading center. So you have, um, like at the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, right? There's not a plate going underneath there, but there's volcanoes underneath the water, and, and it's because it's it's the the plate is separating. I mean, there's a 
kind of a liquidy mantle that they ride on top of. That's what's pushing, you know, the, these plates around. And so there's spreading, but it's, you know, because one's spreading, another one's going underneath another plate. And so it's a different kind of volcano. Hawaii is a little particular because it, it's basically you have a hot spot that's coming up. It's not, it doesn't really follow, it's not really a subduction zone. It's not really a spreading center. And so that's why you have the, the big island is active, but the other islands as you get progressively are not north yeah, and they're older so right. so they used to be over the hot pot hot spot and the, the plate moves now the plate moved another one came up the plate kept moving right and a lot of them you know start below the ocean right as they form and so that's why the big island is active and oahu isn't is because it's it's moved off of the hot spot that's coming up from the mantle so that's kind of a so unique. we have no worry about diamond head exploding well, I mean, I guess there's some theory that maybe there's still some seepage or something like that, but yeah, it's not, it's pretty much inactive, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but so that's why Hawaii is a little different than most of the other volcanoes. Okay. And so you have, um, and so the explosive volcanoes are typically off of subduction zones, like Mount St. Helens. You have the Juan de Fuca plate coming underneath. Uh, North America. And so, and, and that volcanoes don't occur right where there's subduction. They occur some distance back. There's what's called a volcanic arc, typically. So you have a series of volcanoes, like Shasta and Rainier. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of the, the, the volcanic arc, if you will, that's from, from that plate going underneath. And so, um, yeah, so you have to have the right kind of volcano, too. The one that's described in the Book of Mormon is not... So, so like Hawaii, it's 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 dangerous, but only if you can't outrun the lava, right? <laughs> because it doesn't. It's pretty it, slow. Yeah, because pyroclastic, like Mount St. Helens, it just produces this just exploded ash, a lot of ash, superheated, and and just comes out at such speed nobody could escape, and it just kills, you know, and it wipes out, you know, for anything in its way, and and it's it's just uh, it's very. Those are the worst kind of volcanoes, right? And so, and, and is that what Pompeii was as well? Probably. Um, well, Vesuvius, Italy is kind of complex, actually. So it's interesting because Vesuvius is that kind of volcano, but Etna is not down in Sicily. Oh, yeah. So they kind of have this very complex geology of kind of spreading, and then one's going underneath. So it's again, it's not like it's also clean, but but yeah, so. And the Book of Mormon is describing a pyroclastic okay. type That's of volcano. Okay, Yes, because a lot what's of... what's the difference? So pyroclastic you don't explode. Get, and you get ash everywhere. And that, ash. A mist of darkness, right? Okay. Yeah. Whereas the shield, is that more like Hawaii, where it yep. just kind of drip, 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 here out comes the lava? And yeah. Or you get like cinder cones that are like sputtering, you know. They're not like... They're forming over time. There's not some big blast. Okay. And even Hawaii, you know, typically they don't have... A lot of ash. Yeah, and they have explosions, but it's more local and mostly just... I'm trying to remember. There was a recent... Uh, was it in Iceland or Greenland, one of those, where... Um, see, I see, the, in Iceland is, on the, is actually on the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, so that's, it's actually a spreading. Those, are, those volcanoes up there, for the those most part... Those are spreading ones. Yeah, they actually, that's actually kind of what you're going to see under the water. If you could go down to the... You know, if you're at the bottom of the ocean, you'd see kind of the Icelandic kind of... Huh. Volcano. I remember there was a... Problems with some airplanes that had to go around because they can see yeah. rain and the weather, but there was a problem where they flew into volcanic ash and 
the radar couldn't see it for some reason, and they had some real problems yeah. keeping the keeping the. Yeah, and it's up. not that you, you can't have some ash coming out of those kind, but it's it, you don't have the it's a super explosive type of pyroclastic events. Basically, again, I'm simplifying. Some geologists will probably comment, "Hey, he's not what <laughs> I heard." I don't know I, how I, many I'm general, we yeah, have. I'm just generalizing a few of these things. <laughs> So, so that's what I looked at. It says, okay, so anybody that's proposing, uh, let's say the, the Heartland, that's the issue, is the New Madrid Fault. Yeah, right. so it's a very powerful fault. But what you have in earthquakes is you have what's called attenuation zones. So you have the fault, and you have some distance off the fault where right. you'll get damage. Obviously, it decreases farther away. farther away. Now, some of it depends on what kind of material. Again, if you have liquefaction or other unstable material. Maybe you get damaged a lot further away, like Mexico City. They have like a lot of earthquake at the on you know under the ocean in the Pacific, right on the edge, and it will the waves will travel and not really damage much in between. But then it hits Mexico City, which is built on lake sediments and unconsolidated fill, and actually is at such a depth that it it actually creates harmonic is harmonic with some of the earthquake, and so it just basically accentuates the damage. So so it's not just this arithmetic, you know, this far away, you have to look at the rocks, but, and they develop what's called attenuation formulas for each fault, like California, like the San Andreas, San Andreas. Right. So they'll say, and, and basically because they've got size, um, seismic measurements all over the place. So then they have a, an earthquake and they put that into their model. Right. So they're saying, Oh, okay. Actually we have shaking clear out over here. So, so they actually have a complex attenuation model. Again, the theory is to try to predict, if you have a, you know, Richter seven, eight, whatever, how, wh how far is that damage, you know, going to extend away from the fault? So that's the theory. Is the problem is is like the New Madrid. And, you know, I don't have anything against Heartland people, whatever they kind of promote their own yeah. model, and but I haven't really published it. But but the reality is, you have the New Madrid, which is a powerful fault, but then you have to look at the attenuation zones away from it. And yes, you can have damage adjacent. And then they say, well, hey, there's some bells ringing up in Boston. You know? Yeah, it's in like, Connecticut, I heard. Yeah. yeah, but it's like, well, to ring a bell, a bell's just a pendulum, a free-sitting pendulum. <laughs> it doesn't take much movement to get something like that to swing. And that, again, that's like a Mercalli two. You know, it's not enough to collapse. Right. Building. Yes, there, there is some effect, but it's, it's such a distance, it's never going to be that powerful, like the Book of Mormon described, right? And so... Again, and it's like, I don't know what the Heartland people say or don't say, but some say, well, you know, Zarahemla or clear up here and that land northward in Canada. I'm like, well, said, Book of Mormon says a huge amount of damage occurred in the land northward, more, the greater amount. So how are you going to explain that with the new Madrid Fault that's located so far away? You know, you, you, it's the devil in details, right? You can't just say, oh, I got this model. It's got a... <laughs> It's got a fault in it. Yeah. You actually have to put it. Where is the fault? Where does your model? You know, what? Where, where do you have things in your is model? Is the damage going to be in the area where it's, the Book of Mormon says it was? Exactly. So that's kind of what I was trying to do in this book: is say, okay, guys, you can't just you can't just say, oh, we got this earthquake, or you know, you actually have to lay it in and say, does it? Yeah, you know, which has kind of made a few people mad in, in Mesoamerica too, because they had some that had Ammoniah. I was like, well, that's not that's not in a seismic area where you have it, and they had like. The all the cities on the east of Yucatan, like no Yucatan Peninsula, it's like the most stable. Not to, until the very, mm -hmm. yeah, you, know, you get to the very southeast corner, then there's a fault system, but it's like the most stable seismically 
in all of Mesoamerica. So, you could, <laughs> that's less, so, so oh. yeah, so throwing some cities out there that require an earthquake doesn't really work. And, and again, it's like, I'm, I'm just telling you. I mean, you, right. you guys are doing the models. I'm not here trying to bash you. Or, but I'm just saying this is a parameter you have to consider. You can't just have these general statements or arguments. And and, and like the Heartland, they kind of say, well, the mists of darkness. We Well, there's what's called... You know, they call it earthquake fog. There's a kind of anecdotal evidence of, of some. Well, my thought is that but, but that was only fall. local to the fault, and it was basically conden condensate coming up from saturated soil. So it's not where they have and the sand blows. It was like, yeah, there's sand blows. They go up 100 feet or so, but they don't last three days, and they're again proximate to the fault. So you, 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 you if you have the land northward in Canada, you have to have a mist of darkness that can cover. The land northward, because that's what the Book of Mormon says, or at least a significant amount of the what land about, northward. I, I know in it was the 1930s there was the Dust Bowl problem, and it was basically because we really had bad land management with the farmers and everything, and it created. I mean, to me, that would be a huge mist of darkness. And also, do we have any record, or, or, or would there even be any geni geological record of like a Dust Bowl type activity? Well, you might find it in, you know, if there's deposition of it over time. Um, but again, the other thing I looked at is the time frame. You have to have a three hours, right? That's what the Book of Mormon says. And then three days. So you have the main event for three hours. And it also talks about for three days, there was groaning, tumultuous noises, quaking. And so that's your time frame. So you can't just, okay, we have this storm that, you know, it's got to be a three-hour duration. And it's got to, the mist of darkness have to cover... Most areas fairly shortly after that. Like a volcano like Mount St. Helens. Yeah, right. Because I do remember when that thing went off, it was like pitch black at noonday. Yeah. Like it really, and you Mount St. Helens, if it, if it was in the right spot, would really explain the mist of darkness. Exactly. And you, well. it says they couldn't burn their wood, right? It snuffed it out so they couldn't do fire. So again, and it was, the, it, was mist. It, was, it wasn't just vapor. They talk about vapor too, but mist. So it's like almost a tangible something, you know. So, I mean, it does match, right? Mm -hmm. And and so then, you know, so so the, the question is then, okay, so you have a regional earthquake and a volcano. Where do you, where do you have that? You know, that so you've got to have a, re, a volcano that sits on or adjacent to a regional fault system. If you're looking at a volcano, I mean, if you just want to ignore it and say it's whatever, <laughs> but I'm just saying I, you've got to you've got to explain all these things. You can't just explain oh, 80 percent of them, right? You can't just cherry pick when you're trying to do Book of Mormon geography. You have to look at everything, and so so that was the point of the book was to say okay, here are the parameters. Now you know you can debate um, get some tumultuous noise from something else. I don't know what, but you know. And then the other interesting... But a volcano would explain it the best? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because volcanoes, it's almost like a symphony. Is how simple. They have like lot, they have all, can make all kinds of sounds. And specifically, the interesting thing is the, the prime volcano that looked like it was the volcano for the 3rd Nephi event is a San Martin volcano. It's in the very land northward, right in the middle, Olmec land northward. It has high groundwater, so it's, it's phreatomagmatic, meaning it's a very noisy volcano. It has all kinds of explosions related to the groundwater that then turns to steam. In fact, there were the 1792 eruptions. Turns to mist? It can, yeah. <laughs> and, and so you, you actually have, there were, there were 1792 eruption 
was recorded, you know, written and like a naturalist came over and documented from Spain all the things that happened and actually said where the ash was observed, which I kind of showed, um, mapped it out in my book and said, look, actually I can probably cover the land southward and northward pretty well. I mean, even in that eruption, it looked like ash went that far. And so, um, but it, it, when it erupted, the, it was, the interesting thing is, they called it a great storm because the volcano was at the time that was hidden with clouds. So all they saw, you know, again, these are people maybe never seen a volcanic eruption of that sort or any at all. Cause sometimes they live in an area that only has one volcano. And so they described it as a, basically a great storm um, that came and they ran down to the port of Veracruz cause they thought pirates were attacking because of, they thought it was cannon fire. Oh. Yeah, because the volcano was just boom, 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 making all of these all night, you know, because it's it was a very noisy volcano. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, so that's why I say that actually, that actually volcano matches very well the description. Well, and even because it do, volcanoes, especially Mount St. Helens, affected the weather. Like, there are lightning storms and... Yeah, and if... I'm trying to remember... If you look little, at, like, the cover of the book, that's a volcanic eruption light. Oh, lightning. pull it over closer. Yeah, there yeah. You so you have... This is in Chile... And it's time a little bit time lapsed, but uh-huh. you have these sharp lightning. That's what was described, um, and basically, it's the dust cloud is yeah. generating the static electricity that then creates the lightning. Well, even in Saints, um, it talks about the volcano. Was it in the Philippines that caused basically global cooling? Yeah, <laughs> which caused the Smith Farm to fail. Right. Yeah, I because mean, especially if they go high, right? They get into right. the stratosphere, they shield, and they go worldwide. Um, like Krakatoa did the same. And I don't know. mean to get into global warming, global cooling, but I've heard that's a possibility is, you know, if a volcano, I don't remember, was That'll it out save in us. a tubo? <laughs> yeah. What did you say? That'll save us from global warming. Yeah, water. then it, 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 it'll cool the, cool the yeah, earth. Well, for a period of time. Right. right. So, um, yeah, so so that's, so, so and I kind of, that's what the book, I kind of go through all of the, I go through all the hazards described in the text of the Book of Mormon and all the damage it says, okay, here are the things that could cause those things. Some are related to earthquakes, some are related to the volcano, but all of them are covered by both. So a volcanic eruption together with a regional earthquake will give you all the effects that are identified in the Book of Mormon. So so I'm basically saying, yes, the Book of Mormon, the description, of course, they don't say, oh, this, you know, we had a strike slip falls. <laughs> They're just explaining some horrendous event they didn't understand what right. was going on. It was God was punishing them. Well, it was a pyroclastic volcano. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so, you know, even like the sinking of Moroni into the sea, well, you actually have that if you have, you know, liquefaction um, from an earthquake. That actually well, happened. We keep joking about San Andreas that, that LA is going to fall into the ocean, right? <laughs> is, yeah. that, is that going to happen sometime? No, because it's a strike slip. So oh. <laughs> it's not a spreading center. <laughs> okay. If it was a spreading center. It's the then. wrong kind of fault. <laughs> yeah. Well, parts of it might. I mean, I'll, actually, California, it's all, most of it, a lot of it is accreted, meaning it's, it's material that's got accreted from the movement of the fault like, and of smidgens of, it's actually made up of, it's very kind of geologically complex, a lot of it. But, and again, that's a good example. That was, that's was another thing I figured out, too. It's the description in the Book of Mormon. So there's different kind of faults, right? There's what's called a normal fault that's up and down. Okay. A thrust fault means it goes up over, the hanging wall goes up over, and then there's a strike slip where it's horizontal movement, like the San Andreas for the most part. Okay. But the, but strike slips actually create all kinds of weird fracture um, 
patterns and struggle. And that's kind of sounds like that's what the Book of Mormon is describing, where it says, you know, the rocks rent and the and the, there were cracks everywhere and the roads were all broken up. And it, se- it seems like the, I mean, not for sure, but I'm just saying it, it actually. So, I, Stri- so strike slip sounds like the best. Yeah, and, and actually, so I looked at Mesoamerica, and you have basically the subduction zone on the Pacific side. Um, it's complex because there's like a plate rotating against another plate and the Cocos plate going underneath the North American plate and the Caribbean plate. It's pretty complex, um, at least for terms of, of your subduction and your, your, your tectonics, what they call the tectonic plates. But you do have a strike-slip fault goes right through the San Martin volcano. In fact, the, the structure of the volcano is dictated by the fault system, meaning this, this, you know, the, the, where it erupts, it erupts along fault planes. And so that actually matched very well up on the Veracruz fault system, where the one on the Pacific is a subduction, and it's mostly deep earthquakes. I mean, they're powerful to a point, but they don't necessarily generate all that kind of uh, the, the same level of, of structural, of cracking and fissuring that you would get. Um, so does one type of quake last longer than another? The, the strike slip versus the... Not, that, that's dictated more by what pressure is needing to be released. And, okay. And, and so the, not necessarily. Nature. Yeah, but again, that's what you're looking at. You have quakings occurring over three days. So you have a major... And actually in the three-hour period, it said quakings. So you actually could have multiple quake. Yeah, so for three hours, you have hit, 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 hit. And then it has quakings for three more days. Now that could also be, you know, maybe there are still some volcanic earthquakes locally from the volcano, because the tumultuous noises continuing indicates probably the volcano was continuing to erupt at some level. And it's not atypical for a volcano to erupt and then have, you know, smaller eruptions and things going on for some period of time. Often they're, you know, four months apart or something. Um, even Mount St. Helens, you had the eruption, then you had that the dome start to build within the crater. So you, you still had some volcanic activity going on sometime after the eruption. Now there's not much going on but so essentially um you have the three days where you have tumultuous noises groanings so it sounds like i mean that's a pretty good description and they couldn't see anything right because they were <laughs> so they couldn't describe lightning because they were covered with ash so let me ask you this, does that make sense because it sounds like because you said there's different types of volcanoes are there different types in Central America as well. So you you started with a pyroclastic and then you went to a shield type. Yeah. Or? Well, the, the interesting thing about the San Martin is it's actually a little of both. It can be pyroclastic, but it also because it's actually in a situation where you have it's slipping and spreading a bit, but it's also part of the subduction zone. So it's there are complex volcanoes. It's not all. I mean, I'm just kind of describing right. the, the more simplistic kind. But like in Italy, right? You've got one volcano here. <laughs> They're different kinds, not very yeah. far from each other. Etna was what kind again? Was it's it a shield. shield. Okay. Yeah, shield. So, um, and again, we don't, you know, you kind of kind of know what's, project what's below the surface, but, you know, you can't, you know, we don't know everything that's going on in the mantle or something. So sometimes, like Hawaii, there's certain exceptions to, you know, the... Is Hawaii shield as well or no? Well, it's called a shield, but it's not from a, a spreading center or... Or a subduction zone. It's kind of this hot spot from the mantle that's coming up and that just blebbing up in that place. I I haven't studied it a ton. Maybe they have a better theories now for when I you know looked at it when I was 
college. You know, it's not mm-hmm. wasn't it's not Book of Mormon area, so I never <laughs> really looked at it. You know, and I also one thing I did is I worked as a precious metals exploration when I was younger and in Nevada, and so th- there's huge there are huge volcanoes that erupted anciently that spread. You know, they're they're ashfall all over Utah, all over Nevada. And so, I mean, I was familiar with volcanics, you know, eruptions and things like that. Also, not just from school, but from actually mapping in volcanic units. And because and even Utah has some volcanoes, especially mm-hmm. in like southern Utah, it seems like. Yeah, and, and there, there you have some difference. Like it's, um, but those are more like spreading type because we're based in the range. We're kind of spreading. That's why our faults. Or like falling well, up and down because it's kind of spreading, and so you have those those cinder cones outside of Fillmore, the red pumice that you buy. Right. You know that's that's coming from not a pyroclastic. That's more of a cinder cone type. And even spreading. Yellowstone is a gigantic volcano. Right? Yeah, it's a super. Again, that's those are the super volcanoes. That's what I'm talking about. Anciently, the volcanoes that we have a geologic record of some of them are huge, and ash falls covering you know half the western United States not just you know around Mount St. <laughs> I mean I'm not you know we're not talking about that for Book of Mormon that's the other thing I looked at I said well how powerful of a volcano do you need and it's like well you don't need a huge Krakatoa type destruction all you need is just to get ash to the land northward land southward um, have some destruction so like a Mount St. Helens type would that be the type of volcano yeah that type of eruption or something close to that but but that may even be higher. I mean, I think that's like a VI-8 or something. And I'm saying it could even be less of, and still, depending on where your cities are. Right. And it talks about, the unfortunate thing is, not unfortunate, just what it is, but Book of Mormon talks about the cities that were destroyed. So I go through each city, talk about where it might be located. Where, where Sorensen had it in the model, he didn't have all of them, because there's only, some are only mentioned at the time, time of the destruction, you know, yeah. like Josh or whatever, but Josh actually... Thing means fire in in Hebrew. So some of them, I think, they got their name because they were destroyed by fire. I mean, that's why they called it that. And, but I did look at that. I said, okay, so these were ones where it said the fire rained down or came down from the sky, basically, and destroyed them. So I said, okay, we don't have really good studies, but I said, okay, let's take Krakatoa. That was a big one. How far away from the volcano did you actually have stuff that could come down and light cities on fire and burn? You know the actual st- fallout from it. And Krakatoa is where? Uh, that's like in the Pacific. But it, it was like just, a, it, was a, it was, yeah, well, for, it's over kind of Philippines, I think. Philippines. Indonesia, I think. Okay. Yeah, but that was one where actually I had some information because some people, clothes got on fire that were 40 miles away from the volcano. So I said, okay, so I can use a geology to at least say, okay, these cities were within this proximity, the ones that were burned with fire, Zarahemel was a little different because it took fire, you know, but some said the fire came down. So you're saying, okay, so those cities are going to be somewhere within the proximity, this distance away from the volcano. So I was able to say, okay, I can and also apply the geology can help you locate. If you know, if you can identify the geology, then you can then better locate where these cities might be. Right. So it was kind of an iterative thing. So once you apply the geologic parameters to the model, then in fact, you can then, you know, improve your model. Not only verify your model, you can improve the model by saying, okay, I, these cities are probably up in here. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that, so so that that was kind of the the gist of the book was to actually 
you know, verify that yes, all the events in the Book of Mormon that are geologically um, appear to have a geological element can be explained with geology, and specifically the Mesoamerican models. Then second, um, you know, can it help identify, you know, further clarify your model once you've figured that out? And so that was kind of the crux of the premise of the book was to kind of get people thinking about it. It wasn't necessarily proving the Book of Mormon. I don't really care about that. And, you know, could Joseph Smith have known this or not? I don't care. <laughs> so, just the presumption is if the Book of Mormon is what it says it is, does the science support it? Right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you obviously have to look at what does this term mean? You know, I mean, could it, if it's early modern English or things like that. I mean, I do have to look at the text and, and interpret a bit, you know, that the translation may be. And it's clear that obviously the account that's being laid down by presumably Nephi, right, the prophet at the time or whoever did the large plates, it is clear they're trying to, I don't say trying, but they're, they are correlating with the prophecies, right? So all of the ish items identified in the prophecies are also discussed or accentuated in the description. Right? Mm -hmm. So they want to make sure that you know that all the things talked about are are found in 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 the destruction. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, some historians would say, well, that must mean it took place after, so that the prophecy could be guaranteed to work, right? Yeah, I guess, but. <laughs> Not a historian. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not getting into all that stuff. I'm just saying, listen, here's what it is. Here's what the description doesn't match. Okay. And then, so and then the other thing is, you know, I, I did talk about, um, there were a couple things I didn't talk about in the book that I have since published. That is like, there's actually a, a geological event in the old world, right? Lehi goes out and sees a pillar of fire coming out of a rock. So the interesting thing is actually I looked at, you know, the the lands where the tribe of Manasseh has inherited lands of his inheritance, where he would have gone. There is a volcanic field there. Um, so that actually In Israel? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, that's one reason you're saying, why isn't there a volcano? It's like, well, Israel didn't really have a volcano. There's a word for volcano, you don't find it in Hebrew. So Great Storm is actually a pretty good explanation. In fact, you know, there's other people have looked at, at the whole Sinai event. It's a volcano, right? Shaking, fire, cloud. I've heard that, yeah, that so might have turned of, the Nile to blood. Well, that was, that was um, yeah, I think that was kind of upstream. These ones are saying, well, where they went, you know, after they left and went to Mount Sinai. So it's Mount Sinai is not at the headwaters of the Nile. They're just saying there was some mud or something from some event. But they're actually saying in southern kind of on the, it's kind of Mount Better, I think, in Saudi Arabia is a good candidate for Mount Sinai because it was a volcano, right? Well, it had pillar of fire by night, smoke by day. It does sound like a volcano. Mm -hmm. But they called that, again, some of the translations have that as a storm event. Even the Ezekiel vision where he talks about these balls of fire and thing, well, ball lightning comes out of some volcanoes. And there was a... Where he was at, there was an active volcano north of him about 50 miles. I'm not saying, you know, all the elements of the vision, but it kind of could could match, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, there may be, Maybe there was something going on. So, And then 
and then I also looked at the cloud where it talks about the Jaredites, you know, where they were led by the cloud. They went to the land of Nimrod and cloud. So I actually said, okay, actually there is an active volcano right there up, uh, in the area of Nimrod. So that actually matches. And then I kind of actually said, if they took this route, you have volcanoes that erupted during that time frame, 2500 BC, periodically, that if they were erupting at some distance, you know, on the open sea, that would be a guide to them. So, I mean, that's a little bit more speculative. So I did say, okay, that that might also be uh, some some geological explanation for that. So, but I did that in a different book. So those aren't in there. But I also did take, like, there are some events in ether that talk about, you know, destruction like we've never seen, kind of using the same language that was used in the third Nephi. And there were times when the three volcanoes adjacent were erupting at the same time, two times. The Heth event where the snakes came out, that'd be typical of an eruption that the, the, they have to migrate because they can't, you know, their habitat's been disturbed. So there are, and, and that can help tie in the, the Jaredite chronology too. So, I mean, those are points where I know the eruptions took place during a certain, you know, 100 year period. So you can kind of lay in, that helps you lay out your Jaredite chronology. It gives you some anchor points, because that's kind of the difficult thing in the in the Jaredite. You don't have a lot of, you have like king reigns and stuff you can kind of figure out, but you don't have, you have to have some fixed points to anchor it to. And then you have a gap in the middle where you don't know how long it went from Replicish, you know, um, where it just said, the descendant it didn't say son, you know. so. So I did look at other geological events in later books. Um, well, actually, the the book I'm working on now has the <coughs> has the Lehigh event. So, so that was kind of the crux of 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 the book, uh, and is laying in all of those things that are found in the Book of Mormon to help you know better identify your geographic model. It's just one parameter. There are others, but it does just some just fail, right? I mean, that's a problem with the heartland. You don't really have. You can say there's a fault, but you say, well, the the mists of darkness were this earthquake condensate. I'm just like, well, you just don't get that distance away from it. Those are all proximate to the fault. It's very rare, but even then, okay, let's consider that. Um, so it that maybe somebody can make a model that's smaller. I don't know that that actually can redo their model. So it, the geological parameter fits. I mean, I'm not doing that, but so. So from your point of view, uh, geologically, Mezzo is probably the best fit for the Book of Mormon? Well, I'd say the Sorensen model actually worked very well. He had like the land, like the city of Bountiful where he had it. It was an area that, that, that was stable, it didn't have liquefaction where he had it, and right across the river there was a horrible liquefaction zone. So you're like, okay, because they went to Bountiful because it wasn't destroyed, but they could look around and see the destruction. Well, totally makes total sense from the Temple of Bountiful. They could just look across the river and where there was a high area of high liquefaction, everything got wiped out. So those kinds of things that. Um, you know, so you look and say, yeah, the model, what he's laid out fits pretty well. Is that the and correct so one? It's not the only parameter, but yeah, that it works. So it would be better than Baja. It would be better than Heartland. Yeah, yeah. The, the again, the Baja issue is, you know, where is your vapor? 
You have to have vapors killing people too, right? And those come off volcanoes that can carbon dioxide or hydrogen sulfide that can just kill people immediately. And and so again, you you kind of have you can have certain elements work, but other you have to look at all of the things talked about in the Book of Mormon, and that's the problem with the Baha'is. Number one, they start, if they're relying on a volcano, they don't have volcanic eruptions. I mean, there are other problems. They don't have really people. <laughs> so, you know, there's no really no history of, of civilization there. So there's not really people to be killed by a volcano. I don't look at that, but I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, there are other. And so you'd say, yeah, it doesn't really work. Now they'd say, well, there's this fog, you know, and then it came. And that was the other, the meteorological. They were saying, oh, there's this great storm, like a hurricane. I looked at that. I said, well. I looked at all the hurricane tracks, timing from 1823, uh, when they when they occurred, and almost because we know Christ basically when he died, right, late March, early April. Hurricanes, there almost none go that early, like one. So, so if you're claiming a great storm is a hurricane, it's doesn't work because they just typically don't have those. And also, it had to be three hours. Hurricanes don't usually last that short a time, and if they do, they aren't very powerful and they're dry. So I'm just saying, so I even looked at that. So if you're looking at the great storm, some meteorological event, you have to, can't just say it's a hurricane. Okay, then what, where are you going to get that kind of storm right. that's going to cause that kind of destruction? So, Are there tornadoes that spin off from volcanoes as mm-hmm. well? Yeah, that's after, they're not necessarily. Or the as world, the Book of Mormon would say, whirlwinds, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the event itself could be actually described as, you know, there, there's all kinds of, of wind when the explosion happens. And then after a, a pyroclastic flow comes through, there are small whirlwinds. I'm not saying those were necessarily that powerful, but yeah. And so I do think they're talking about, you know, maybe the eruption itself or periodic eruptions creating these pyroclastic flows that just kind of blow everything around. So, yeah. So, so again, it's, Again, is it evidence that the Book of Mormon is true, you know, historical? Well, yeah, I would say that, you know, because the description, and, and it's kind of curious because, like, there was one that talked about where hills and valleys were left in the stead thereof, right? Well, that was actually a morphological feature that really wasn't identified by a lot of geologists or most geologists until the Mount St. Helens. And actually, after the pyroclastic flow is done, you have these hills and valleys where the ash deposits in that form. So it actually matches the uh, post-volcanic, you know, what you would expect after a pyroclastic flow has, has gone through. So was, some things are kind of, hey, well, would Joseph Smith know that? I don't think so. <laughs> but again, I don't care about, you know, I don't get into what Joseph Smith knew or didn't know. I'll leave that to the all the other guys publishing stuff, <laughs> which there are so many I can't, can't keep up. But. What about Melee? Have you checked Melee? Um, you know, I didn't really, mostly because, and again, I didn't really, a lot of people have called and says, hey, check this model. It's like, you know what? It takes a lot of time to do the research on all the volcanoes. I mean, right. I mean, especially in Central America, there's like a couple hundred. So I'm trying to find papers on every one. And part of the issue there is simply, it's just, I mean, I think Moroni I said it was in the Americas, right? So I'm, I'm basing that premise. And, you know, they can look at that if they think it works. They're volcanoes, right? And, mm-hmm. But I don't know whether they have the land northward. And I think it's only one or two people proposing that model. So I don't, again, I I moved on to other research. This was 70 years ago. You know, so I'm not, 
I'm, I'm not out there just as the model. I just ran and says, if you want to do it, here's the book. Go look at Malay, see if all the parameters can be found. You know, mm-hmm. more power to you. Yeah, yeah. The other, the other models, like I said, I didn't really go and say, hey, here's a big analysis of the heartland. It's just, well, there's some things that just obviously have some problems without a lot of research, right? I mean, it just, you have the land northward and, you know, north of the Great Lakes. How are you getting the major part of the destruction up there? Forget about whether they're kings there or not. You know, I mean, that's the big, it's a big thing. There are no kings. I'm like, well, I think they've got kings in Canada for a while. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but again, I'm not, that's not really what, that's more of a Brad Gardner kind of <laughs> you know, analysis that he would do. So I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jerry Grover. In our next conversation, we're going to continue to talk to Jerry, and this time we're going to talk about the Book of Mormon star in which there was a night of no darkness. Yeah, so it's a known document. And, and if you look at it, it only occurred on one side of the Earth because it was a short duration, 12 hours. It was actually two in a row, um, that event. And so that actually explains both the brightness and the signs and wonders, which they had not seen, right? I mean, and... Is it like the night, the Northern Lights or something like yeah, that? Yeah, so the Northern Lights, number one, they got... It wasn't just their standard Northern Lights. They were crazy. If you like what we're doing here on Gospel Tangents, please become a paid subscriber at gospeltangents.com or patreon.com slash gospeltangents. We've got full transcripts on our website at gospeltangents.com. And if you'd like to check out some of our other conversations, click over here. Thanks. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.